Welcome to the RSA Events Podcast, the home of world-changing ideas and debate. Good evening, everyone. I'm Matthew Taylor. I'm Chief Executive of the RSA. I'm delighted to welcome you here tonight for this very special event. Uh, It's the 2018 Albert Medal Award. So the RSA has awarded the Albert Medal for innovation in the fields of creativity, enterprise, and social improvement since 1864. In recent years, the particular emphasis has been on social uh, innovation. Recent past recipients have included business pioneer James Timpson and via a posthumous award last year, industrial economist and social innovator Robin Murray. The Albert Medal is now recognised as a means of identifying and rewarding those at the forefront of practical social innovation, inspirational heroes who are driven by a desire to make the world a better place. We're absolutely delighted to award this year's medal to Neil Jameson. Neil is Emeritus Director of Citizens UK and Director of the UK Centre for Civil Society. Neil played a central part in founding Citizens UK as the home of community organising and has been the lead organiser and executive director of the charity for the last 20 years. Citizens UK has been pivotal in empowering individuals and institutions to initiate and drive major systemic changes in politics and public life. A total of 47 professional community organisers now operate across hundreds of diverse member communities working together on shared interests for the common good. Central to the RSA's current work are the concepts of convening and change-making, so we're looking forward to hearing from Neil this evening on how powerful citizens' alliances are leading strategies for change. This type of approach is vital in confronting the complex challenges we face as a society and developing a shared mission for progress, indeed renewing our belief in progress. Neil Jameson's Albert Medal Lecture is part of a special season of events to celebrate the opening of the RSA's new Enlightenment coffeehouse, Rothmels, a new space designed to stimulate the creative thinking and collaborative action needed to drive such change. And if you haven't been down to our floors, minus one and minus two, you must go down there. It's a fantastic space. So Neil, uh, it gives me great pleasure to present you with the 2018 Albert Medal in recognition of your services to community organising for the common good. Uh, Neil's going to speak for about 20, 25 minutes. I'll ask him a few questions and we'll open it up to the rest of the room. So over to you, Neil. Good evening. Assalamu alaikum, shalom. Uh, lovely to be here. Thank you very much, <coughs> Matthew and RSA, for the honour that you've given me. It's a wonderful honour in itself. But of course, uh, if you look at the previous people who've received this medal, it's outstanding. Uh, it's also true that, of course, a individual on their own can't do what you've just sort of summarised. So uh, it would not surprise people who are here if I'm going to honour the movement Uh, which is so important to the dream that we had 30 years ago, but others had in the United States of America before that, and the founders of our great countries had before even them. So thank you very much for that. I'm very touched by that. I gather since 1864, one person has stood here, and they've been diverse, and they've mostly been scientists or innovators or inventors. Uh, That's why it's a particular honour to have this, because I haven't invented community organising. I've just reinvented it effectively. Uh, I'm not a scientist, but I understand that. I'm an artist, if anything, and art and politics are very important. 
There's no science around politics, as you can read today. It is a, an artist's activity that is taking place. And if we expect it to be logical, it, it really won't be. Uh, thank you also uh, to Alex Lucas, who's looked after me very well and got us to today so efficiently and so on. Uh, <clears throat> I'm very grateful for that. I, command the, I commend the transformation of this building. Matthew, as you say, I would encourage you to, if you have time, look downstairs, not in the, ben in the Benjamin Franklin room, but in the Roth Mills, which was the name, of, as I understand it, of the first coffee house, where the idea of an uh, institute that would focus on invention and science and reward people who did that and innovation uh, was created. In accepting the medal, as I say, on behalf of the many, many people who have made my story and the development of broad-based community organizing through Citizens UK possible, I'd also like to thank them who are here from the bottom of my heart. However, it's more difficult to, to explain and to worry about the long-term legacy that this innovation will have. It was easier for the previous medalists, many of which, were, of course, were scientists who invented something, penicillin, electricity, lighting, God bless them for doing that. This is more complicated because it's a change of mind, it's a change of mentality, it's a political argument that we've been involved in for the last 30 years, which if we don't sustain it because others pick it up and run with it, then it will fizzle out. There are lots of people trying to get inside our minds. It's, there is competition for that, as we know from Cambridge Analytica and others. Uh, and uh, the, the weapons that we use which is political argument and history and other people's stories are ancient and Luddite almost in comparison to the sophistication of Facebook and others that have a much more greater reach not only to us older people but definitely to our younger people who maybe spend too much time uh, watching that and hoping that the answer will come from that. Uh, I sometimes quote from what my Buddhist friends say, isn't a Buddhist quote but I don't know where it came from, which is that life is a struggle. Every now and then, you find brief, fleeting moments of joy. The rest is relentless struggle. This is the search for nirvana, the search for the meaning of life. It is a struggle. It is, as Dr. Barry would say, a jihad, uh, which is the meaning which means struggle in life. Uh, and part of my story is, and it must be the same for many of you, that in this struggle, we have to eventually settle with something which makes sense. So part of my story will be that I have settled with community organizing because it makes sense, in my opinion, on so many fronts. It's an answer to so many difficulties people have about meaning, about relationships, about neighborliness, and so on, which I will explain as we go through. It's a change strategy. It gives us hope in politics, politics as the Greeks talked about them. Uh, it, it focuses particularly on civil society as the most important sector between the state and the market and civil society. We've got children in civil society. I, if you've looked at my uh, profile on um, uh, and media, uh, I'm a champion for uh, civil society. I'm a disciple of civil society. Our needs and our self-interest are different to the needs and self-interest of the market and the state. They all have their place, but basically our needs are greater because there's more of us. So they are the sector that we were preoccupied with in civil society, I'm proud to be. I also noticed uh, Matthew Anthony Painter, in the, um, which I think is on the web, in his very good article on um, uh, ideas for 21st century enlightenment, 
that he talks about history. And history suggests that it's movements that change things. Individuals may initiate them, but basically movements are very important. And I think, if nothing else, I've played a significant part in capitalizing on people's desire for the movement and the meaning that citizen organizing is focused on. In uh, the founding assembly, we started citizens in effectively 1989. Uh, it took me a year to build a broad-based alliance in Bristol. And uh, Bishop Peter Firth was one of our first trustees. He was the Bishop of Malmesbury at the time. And he was a man who would quote from the Bible, as you would expect. And he used this quote about where there is no vision, the people perish. He had just done six-day training, which is something that many people here I recognize have also done. And he added to that the reality, of course, that vision without tools is a mirage. There are lots of people with vision and mission and so on that they talk about. But the one thing I think we have brought to the movement is tools. These can be applied, as I suggested in my sort of flyer, if you're in business, if you're teachers, if you're head teachers, if you are anything, to your own location. Relationality is the trick. Be relational. Spend time with people. Listen to them. If you listen to them and spend time with them, it transforms a meeting into a relationship activity, which will strengthen the institution, whether it be business or what have you. I hope to share some of these tools with you and stories about leadership and the 30 years of organizing that I have had. Uh, so I want to commend the 420 member institutions that we have now got in membership. I also, in process, want to commend anybody who is a head teacher here, who has responsibility for a mosque, who runs a church, who set, has set up a refugee group, who runs an institution. These institutions are very, very important. Some of them are in membership of Citizens UK, some of them are not. In fact, most of them are not on the basis of that because there's many more than 420. But thank you for joining us and thank you to the trustees of Citizens UK, my chair, my ex-chair, because I'm no longer the director, uh, Dr. Kanish Shahid is here. Uh, and absolutely, uh, there are several organizers in this room and, and members of the organization. And I'd ask you to stand up now so to be recognized, uh, because without you, there would be no movement. Please. <laughs> yep. Good. Thank you. Uh, and also would like to commend, obviously, our funders. Uh, without the funding we have, which is partly from the membership. So Matthew wanted me to talk about sustainability. That's very good. There's lots of people pass through here. I've heard them in the coffee shop downstairs with lots of ideas. But those ideas don't go anywhere unless you have a sustainable plan. And I was blessed by inheriting a sustainable plan, uh, which is that people have to pay for something they really value. That's not a new idea. It's very important. They pay to be in membership as fellows here, and we charge. So these are institutions that join Citizens UK. That is a novelty, but that serves us well, and they pay dues. 40% of our £5 million income comes from the membership. The other 60% comes from foundations and trusts who share our concern about the future direction of society and the future direction of um, politics in itself and the, pub the public good. So... Uh, let us also uh, recognize that for most people that have an idea or have found an idea that is novel, uh, it's very good to have a mentor. Uh, it's agitational, it's helpful, and they keep you on the right lines, and I want to dedicate this um, 
lecture to um, Ed Chambers. Ed was the uh, director of the uh, Industrial Areas Foundation, took over from Saul Alinsky, and was the director from um, 1972 to 2009. 37 years he did in this process. Uh, I want to also welcome his wife, uh, Anne, who's here, his daughter, and his son, Will and May, uh, who know who I'm talking about very well. And I also want to welcome Margaret here, who has flown in specially from the States, who was his long-term supporter, organizer, agitator, and friend. Uh, I wouldn't be here without him. Well, I might be here without him, but I wouldn't be as good as I am without him. <coughs> uh, he, he, it is for him, and also so I want to welcome Susanna, who's come from the Deutschland Institute for Community Organizing, which, which is a sister partnership for us. Uh, don't think any of us would be here without the the person who took from Saul Alinsky the principles of organizing and knocked them into shape. He made an organization out of the creative thinking of this radical guy some of you may have heard about, we don't talk about much in Britain, but basically he played a very significant part, Saul Alinsky, in the principles that we follow. But it was Ed Chambers who basically said we need organizers, we need young organizers, we need people who will dedicate their life to this process of rebuilding civil society and we need to pay them well and we need to give them health insurance if they're in the States and we need them to stay. We don't want them in for a year and then they go on and do something else. Ideally we need people who are on a permanent basis and as he got older he got more angry about things because not everybody got that argument because there was competition taking place, of course, between the tech people, the bankers, and everyone else who wanted these bright people to become organizers, and basically some chose to make that move. It has its place, but basically civil society needs the best, uh, and that's what he always argued, and, and he therefore argued when I got to the age of 40, having had, if you like, two careers, all of us, 20 years of development, formation, university, then trained to, to do social work, didn't do that very long, but trying to do it radically, did community development and community organizing, uh, was a, saw the direction I was going in. I met Ed in 1979 when I went to Chicago on a Churchill Fellowship, and he told me with his, the blunt way that he did speak to many people, but not his family, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, get out of here, get a proper job. Uh, he gave me 10 minutes, and those of you who understand that really a one-to-one -one should be 45 minutes, my stock fell. I didn't know about one-to-ones and stuff. One-to-one is a relational way of building things. But basically, Ed was very blunt. He got blunter and kinder and warmer as he got older. Uh, and that's partly because of the love that his family gave him and partly because he could see this was growing. There are at least 60 citizens' organizations in the United States. Most cities have got one. Other people have taken the method and adjusted a bit. But basically, the Industrial Areas Foundation is the best because of him. His legacy is people rebuilding civil society using the same methods, the same argument, the same political argument, and his iron rule, which is up there, which is never, never do for others what they can do for themselves. I'd spent 20 years breaking that rule. We social workers break that rule all the time, and some of us organizers break that rule occasionally, but it's a mistake. Because if you break that rule, people depend on you. They look for you to do things for them, and you are tired and exhausted and, and can't continue, and you get cynical about them and think they've got too many needs and so on. So that's a very good message for all of us, I hope, is try not, apart from our children, to do for people what they can do for themselves. 
People can organize. Part of the argument we're involved in is it's our fault we're in the mess we're in. If you hear nothing else from me, please believe that, because if you don't believe that, then, then you have no power to do anything about it. What we can offer, and others, and the thinking that's going on here, is there are tools you can use, there's methods you can use, and there's history to remind us that you can do something about it, but it's pointless blaming other people for the mess we're in if you haven't got the capacity to rebuild civil society minimally around yourselves and your institutions, but ideally with other people. So, the theme uh, for this was to focus on three tools, and this is one of our T-shirts, uh, which actually, again, is... Uh, oh. Well, that's all you need with the PowerPoint. Okay. Oh, sorry to grunt and look madly uh, quickly at the guy. Well, it's not going. Should go that way. I keep going. Oh, it's my fault. Never do for others what you can do for themselves. Thank you for your help. <laughs> there we go. So there's the T-shirt. And I want to focus on, in the time I've got, the three things which, in my experience, have transformed my life. And it's partly based upon the mistakes I've made, as we all do, as we try and learn what matters. Power is the deciding thing in winning and losing. That has totally been my experience since I started organising. It's a bittersweet pill for those who don't like word, the, the word power, the concept of power, but basically if you don't grasp it, you will lose. Life is too short. I'm 72 in November, and I, I think, like Ed, are getting more angry that people don't understand you have to have power to be taken seriously. We all have some power, but people organised have more power. It's the organised who win, it's the disorganised who lose, and they lose bitterly because they think all they have to talk about is justice and things will happen. And that's not been my experience. It's not the experience of history. It's not the experience of anybody you know, I suspect. The world is unjust, but basically it is possible for us, particularly in a democracy, to organise to be more powerful. I organise people in a way around my own self-interest in, in the 20 years before I started organising. I organised them because I had an idea. I organised them because I thought I knew what they wanted. I called them to meetings which I paid for or booked or the, the local authority booked for me. They didn't come. I began to be critical of their performance. They go on and on about their problems and actually why don't they come to the meeting which is so important to, I don't know, attack the council for the way that they're behaving. Uh, until basically I realised that I'd started the wrong way around or it taught me I'd started the wrong way around. In organising, you start with people and their own self-interest. Uh, their self-interest and our self-interest, this is the most important thing, is to be recognised. To be recognised that we are unique. In Christian terms, we are created in the image of God, and yet we are invisible. We're invisible if we don't organise. Uh, you must know what it's like when you're trying to talk to somebody and they ignore you completely, and eventually you give up talking because you think, what's the point? Well, that's what it's like, I think, in this country, to be poor, to be homeless, definitely, 
probably to be black or brown-skinned, to be almost invisible, to be disorganized absolutely. The purpose of power, of course, is to be more powerful and to be recognized. The assemblies, which you've seen some images of flashing through there, uh, are very important. One of the unique things I think we've managed to do is to organize people into a relationship which demands recognition. The question that asked at citizens' assemblies, and I'm sure in Germany too, is a very variety of things about housing or wages or something, but uh, when we get most effective it is, and so, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Prime Minister candidate, will you tonight commit to work with citizens during the four years of your office? There are two answers you can give to this, yes or no. The assembly is frozen if it's done well. If the assembly is packed with diverse people, it is totally appropriate, not that they have been bullied, that they say absolutely. In fact, Boris Johnson, my mayor, said, why would I not work with you? This is organized, it starts on time, it finishes on time, you're polite, nobody boos. This is a sort of organization I want to work with because you understand that actually time matters, discourtesy is not a good idea if you want a relationship, and basically uh, I will be here next time and I will be here next time and you can hold me to account for the promises I've given you. So power is the determining factor, whether we like it or not, and power before program, for those of you just starting off, is the mantra we use, and people, therefore, before program. Listening before program. Program is what they want, what our people want, and some of the, uh, uh, some of the campaigns we run have come as a result of this. Uh, Ed Chambers' favourite uh, philosopher was Anna, Hannah Arant, and she said power is actualised only where work and deeds have parted company, where words are not empty and deeds not brutal, where words are not used to veil intentions but to disclose realities and deeds are not used to violate and destroy but to establish relations and create new realities. Ed's favourite British author was Bernard Crick. So Bernard Crick, some of you may know, uh, who was brought back out of retirement to help the Labour Party with introducing citizenship into the Labour government, into the curriculum. And Bernard wrote a fantastic book, and certainly when we started, it was compulsory for organisers to read his great book in defence of politics. It's a unique book, it's quite hard going, but basically he says, so you don't have to read it, that actually politics is the answer to, is the alternative to war. War happens when politics fails. He wasn't talking about Brexit. He wasn't talking about Tories. He wasn't talking about Labour. He was talking about the... the, the Ability to organize people to have enough pressure to get the change that they want to have, which usually, of course, involves compromise. I commend the book to you. It is still an original treaty on the importance of politics, and so please do not go off politics. However you think this lot or the other lot have misunderstood the plot, it's up to us to get that plot right by organizing differently and using this, this Greek vehicle. The word politics comes from polis, the people. The word democracy is two Greek words, demokratia. Demo meaning power, kratia, the people. So that is very, very important to remember that the work we're involved in is historic. Uh, read as much as you possible. I noticed this morning Amber Rudd was criticizing the poverty man who's come from the United Nations who's accused us of messing around with austerity, what, using austerity, and people have been affected. And she said, this is terrible because he's just using politics. Of course he's using politics. It's perfectly legit legitimate. She's using politics. 
So we have to spend some time with our members confirming that politics is a good thing and it isn't basically a bad thing. The other thing we're accused of, which I'm always bewildered at, is having an agenda. We have an agenda, citizens, do we not? The trouble with those people, they've got an agenda. The trouble with that man, absolutely, my God, if we haven't got an agenda, what's the point? <laughs> our agenda is the people. If you're paid by citizens, that is our agenda. If you're not paid by citizens, you're a volunteer, even more so. It's the people, it's the children, it's what they want, it's how can we get it, it's a relationship, it's recognition. We have an agenda which is quite long, not too long, but it all involves those things, and I am very proud to say that citizens has an agenda, and if you haven't got an agenda, get one, from wherever. And that should involve a change in the process. Uh, the other thing, which I hope I'm going the wrong way, it was me is uh, a quote from Martin Luther King, just in case you're not happy the concept of power. Power without love is tyranny, but love without power is sentimental and anemic. That is very important. So uh, bear that in mind. That's what he's talking about. We're talking about power with people. If you, can, you can't get a relationship with people if you don't organize, with powerful people. You can get a relationship with the neighbors, that's pretty good. Do that, bottom line. But basically getting a relationship with the mayor the Prime Minister, the candidates, the corporate world is critical if you want to organise and uh, also introduce them to the principle, another tool, reciprocity, giving gifts is very important, saying thank you is very important and understanding that politics is about compromise. It's not necessarily about winning. If you win a compromise, that's winning, effectively. Many people have never won anything, so basically we can't help them. But basically, compromise is a very good thing. When we started the Living Wage Campaign in 2001, which now has 4,700 accredited employees, we came up with a figure on the back of a matchbox. Please don't quote me on this and all these cameras here. We had a little help from academics, basically a figure, and the people said, well, that's the wrong figure, there needs to be this figure. I've just come back from the States, there are four figures for living wage. There are academic, uh, there are universities falling over themselves to work out what the figure for the cost of base on the cost of living people should have. It doesn't matter what the figure is. It's higher than the minimum wage. That's the important point. We should fight about how do we get the wages up, not what the figure should be. It's never right. It's never right, but basically getting a figure is a victory. It's vitally important. And we do that through action. Power, very important, but how do we display our power? We do it through action. As Mr. Chambers said, action is the oxygen of an organization, as it is for a business, as it is for the RSA here, as it is for a mosque, I hope. But mosques that do nothing, do nothing. They lose numbers. The same with church, the same with schools. It depends what you mean by action. Action, we mean that gets a reaction. The reaction is more important than the action itself. But if you don't act, you don't get a reaction. So the, the actions that we do are very, very important. The purpose of the action is to develop the membership of the organization. When we meet at the end of the um, action, we say, how did we do? Who did well? Who did less well? Meaning us. Did we do the business? And are we more powerful than we were before we started this action? Critically important, if we're less powerful, we don't close and give up, but basically it's very important those questions are asked and the most important question is, how did we do? Didn't Mrs. Smith, who's never spoken before at a public meeting, do well when she told her story about what it's like living in a crummy house with rats uh, in, the, in the cellar and so on? Didn't Mohammed, who's come here ex uh, who, to, to talk about the 
uh, trouble that his wife has had consistently on the train by people abusing her because she wears the inappropriate clothing in their, clothing in their eyes. Didn't she, didn't she then come up and say in her own words, without any script, what it was like? Didn't that change the nature of the meeting to hear authentic testimony instead of statistics and reports and all the necessary things which need to go with them? The turnout at these assemblies is very important. So I will just flash through some of them. You can see what they are. Very important. Every time there's been a mayoral assembly in London, London Citizens has had an assembly starting with one for 800 people in 2000. 2004, a little bit more. 2008, a little bit more. 2012, a little more. 2016, 6,000 people in the room with Sadiq Khan and Zach Goldsmith with an agenda. Uh, commend Matthew Bolton's organizing for that because this was his idea. I posed him all the way. It was in the round. It was in a basketball um, gym. Uh, and basically, I never thought we'd get the turnout. Even though it's critical to meet and have a relationship with the mayor, still people prefer to watch people acting on television rather than be there. But I suspect, and pretty clear, anybody who was in that room at that time will have had their lives transformed, will understand that politics is a good thing, that neighborliness is a good thing, and getting a relationship with either of those men would have suited us. We're non-partisan. Most people are born non-partisan. We then become partisan, effectively. Uh, it's good to be non-partisan because that is what politics is about. We need political parties, but basically we need also to be pragmatic. When hate, hate happens, we challenge it. When we go to other cities, we're now in 11 significant cities across the country, we hold assemblies. We pack the assemblies. We don't pack them. They are packed. They have to be packed. Each institution pledges on how many people they're going to bring. 20, 30, we remember it, we keep the numbers, we put out the same number of chairs that people have said they're going to bring. If they don't come in the evaluation, if we do it well, people feel bad about it. They didn't get their 30, they didn't get their 20. Ideally, they ring up the next day and say, you really let us down, St. John's of Hoxton. You said 70, you said 20. Uh, some of our young members get a bit carried away. They pledge 200 and they get two. <laughs> they have to learn to be realistic. And people don't easily come to public meetings. That's the other thing that we've experienced. But when they get there, they do experience politics. They experience the world as it should be. And they go back feeling better about themselves and ideally also better about the nature of living in a democracy. And finally, that was Andy Burnham we were going through there, who was just announcing the new living wage. Uh, as the mayor of uh, Manchester. He does that because we had an assembly before he elect got elected and did, if elected, will you work with us, and so on. And here is the wonderful uh, Lord Dobbs, who uh, uh, <coughs> is fighting for young refugees to be able to come here because it is the 80th anniversary last week of the Kinder Transport, the letter that went to the Kinder Transport uh, to the um, Neville Chamberlain to allow, to persuade the government to allow unaccompanied children to come into Britain uh, rather than face death through the Nazi regime. And of course, we did receive them. That is as great an uh, issue now as it was then. And uh, we're grateful to have Lord Dubbs and others, in a way, using the muscle of the organization, which we don't mind, because actually one of the issues which consistently our members are concerned about is the plight of strangers. Our holy books consistently honor the stranger versus the people we know. Uh, and that's partly why uh, we're an alliance, not of, we're a civic alliance, but faith is very important to many of our members. Values are very important to many of our members, uh, which is why the role of the stranger is critically important for who we are, because we could be strangers 
anywhere else. The story of people who are refugees is important to our members, which is why we have a whole program of us not, not feeding refugees, but liberating refugees through the various campaigns that we have. And finally, the, the other universal which lots of people use is that of justice. Ah, now come on back. There we go. Justice. And a little quote there from the Peloponnesian Wars written in 4011 BCE by Thucydides. Uh, he wasn't there, of course, but he just presumed that this uh, debate between the little island of Melos and the, the power of the great Athenian Empire was universal. You know as well as we do, say the Athenians to the Medians, that when these matters are discussed by practical people, that the standard of justice depends on the equality of power to compel it. The strong do what they have the power to do, and the weak accept what they must accept. That's an important message for us, and that is the sort of message that many people get on the trainings that we do on a regular basis. We've trained 5,000 people over the last 30 years, three times a year, six-day intensive training, including Ed Miliband and the late Tessa Jowell and others have attended to think again about politics and where the partisanness has gone wrong and started in the right place but then became too bitter and too oppositional to uh, be effective. Uh, this message is a tough one for those who think that, frankly, justice is all you have to say and people will bend over. That is not the case in our experience, which is why power is so important and which is why power is the purpose of Citizens UK and the purpose of London citizens and Manchester citizens and Birmingham citizens and Tyne and Weir citizens and Milton Keynes citizens and Cardiff citizens and Taunton citizens and other citizens and Leeds citizens and uh, other cities that are now picking this up with no help and not a penny from the state. If you take the money from the state, the state will tell us what to do, and so they should. It's your taxpayers' money. If you take the money from the membership, we have to work very hard, because otherwise you drop out of membership. You stop paying. If the organisation becomes too rabid or too, too factionalist, people stop paying. That's the control on this very, very precious uh, organisation or process of organising, which is about systemic change. Uh, let's see if we go to the right one. Yes. Uh, this is very important, too, that uh, when I look at the things that have, uh, we've done and I've managed to help do, the most important thing is that we have managed to build permanent dues-paying alliances of diverse institutions where most of the institutions stay whatever happens. Were we to mess up and were our organisers to mess up, then clearly they would not stay in membership. Um, reweaving the fabric of society is the purposely chosen for the theme of this lecture because that is actually what we do. We make folks who are suspicious of each other become friends or become citizens effectively. Uh, war happens when politics fails. War also happens and politics also fails if people are not in relationship. So the mixing of the institutions with the more diverse the better so that people can work out what have we got in common which is why you have to start with their issues not your issues. You can't presume to know what people want unless you listen to them. So most of the organisations start with that listening exercise. The Living Wage Campaign started in 2001. As I say, has 4,700 living wage employers. The first 100 were got as a result of struggle and tension. And tension is another thing which is very important in politics. It has its place. Without tension, there is no change. Uh, none of us like tension. I don't like tension. Then we like tension. 
in which case we'd be suspicious of you. But basically, <laughs> attention creates change. If you rub things together, Mr. Chambers taught me this too, there is friction and then there is fire. And then things happen. And frankly, on the bridges this last Saturday, the new um, climate change folk sat down consciously to be arrested. It has its place, provided they are training their members in the tools of organising and they're not just using people in order to get the things they want. We are not primarily, which is another reason why I'm very proud of what we're going, a campaigning organisation. We campaign to help people to grow and develop. We're an organisation that believes power is important to people's lives and recognition more important to them. So that's why they stay and they come back to these big assemblies. Uh, we can not just run living wage. The Strangers and Dissidents campaign led to thousands of irregular migrants being given the right to stay here. Uh, the work we're doing with um, the, the way we played, and it depends when history is written who did this, but it, I would say it was us. Uh, the cap on interest rates, which uh, George Osborne introduced in 2013 was a result of a rigorous campaign by us to work out what should we have done when the banker's crash took place in 2008. There was no civil society response. What happened was our money was taken and given to the banks. There's been no repercussions particularly for the banks. So we said the important thing is we have to do is control money because money is out of control. It is deregulated. And therefore, we learn from the past, which is when usury was around, it was regulated. There were, in fact, jails for people that lent and, did, and charged money for loans and process. Uh, every country in Europe had a policy on capping interest rates. The only country that didn't was Britain. And why were there so many payday lenders here? Because we had no control. The state doesn't always control things for us. Our part of our job is to nudge and persuade and encourage the state to do what it's for, what it's there for, which is to protect us. Uh, part of our job also is to do the best we can with our corporations, which are not all bound by a long shot, to pay the wages that they should be paying, to look after their workers, to help and support refugees, to do a whole series of things which they have the power to do and they have the money to do. So justice, very important. Uh, community land trusts, very helpful to us. I think that they're now, we has, you've now seen the turn that having spent some time taking advice from all over the world, the only way of bringing affordable housing to Britain, to London particularly, but Britain, is if you can get hold of the land, preferably for free, and you can build houses on it. The land is in trust, and you build houses on it. We are now selling houses at a third of the market rate. We have proved that this works. The Sadiq Khan is taking it more seriously, and lots of local authorities are finding bits of land to give to developers who ideally we're in touch with. Colleague Angus Ritchie is here. He's just got land next to St. George's Church in um, Wapping for 40 houses, 40 homes, not necessarily from the church, but from the area. Those people will buy those houses at a third of the market rate. If we had not organized, we would never have been able to get that together in that way. And we also, of course, have the opportunity occasionally when there's an election and we're not sure what's going to happen now, and we weren't ready for the 2017 election, and we didn't think Mrs May would come, is to hold uh, prime ministerial candidates to account by them coming to an assembly to which they must uh, <coughs> respond, not by telling us what they're going to do, but by responding to our agenda in that process. About to finish our time, but clearly job is not done. The job will only be done if we can attract good organisers to this network. Uh, and I'm looking at the cameras now. There must be people maybe in this room or elsewhere who would like to be community organisers or citizens organisers, and we need you. You need to be an optimist. You need to like people. You need to uh, like their institutions. 
you need to have a sense of humor. And basically, you could be a pretty good organizer, uh, provided you're also patient with uh, the way that people work. Uh, it's a wonderful privilege. It's a vocation for people to be an organizer. That is important. Civil society institutions investing in organizing is very important. The support and ally of friends who will mention what it is we're doing. This medal is very important. So, Matthew, thank you again for that. Just to finish, really, on the quote which a few people use and should be used a lot because it happened after the Second World War. We've just had a whole series of ceremonies to honor the dead of the First World War. Wonderfully crafted, emotionally powerful. War should not happen. We are playing, and I don't want to over-egg the nature of community organizing, but basically if people know each other, they're not going to kill each other. If they don't know each other, they're more likely to kill each other or stereotype each other. We have to have a strategy to stop people hating each other. It's not enough to honor the dead and say, we will remember you. It is better to organize in your neighborhood, organize with a national intent and potentially an international uh, intent with um, others that believe that this way of organizing is historic, it is vital, and frankly, if we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Uh, in order to do what Beveridge has called for there. Yes, remember, I wrote, he wrote this just at the end of a terrible Second World War. The first call should be on developing citizens to take the responsibilities of democracy in choosing leaders and deciding on public issues. The making of a good society depends on the citizen individually or in association with others. So the Knight's insane Nazi dream of power over others without limit and without mercy shall fade, so humankind shall bring back the day. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Neil. That was um, uh, fantastic. I'll just ask a couple of questions, so there's time for at least one round of questions from, uh, from the floor. Um, David Cameron, it's actually it's a great photo, I wish it was back up there, because he's saying something and there's someone sitting behind him with their mouth open in incredulity, and you kind of want to put, the, ca you want to put the caption at the bottom, I've decided to have a referendum about membership of the <laughs> European <laughs> Union. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, uh, David Cameron, of course, um, felt that he was... Um, honouring you and your work when he established a network of community organisers. That network is still operating. I think there's been 6,000 trained and... Uh, mentioned this the other day. And the government's committed to uh, rolling out to a full 10,000 by the end of the second term. Yeah. You, you ought to be dancing in the streets, but I don't think you are really about the government's model of community organising, are you? No. <laughs> it's a somewhat leading question there. Yeah. <laughs> We have never applied for a government contract apart from once, which was the first contract the government offered when they were keen on the, new, the big society. Uh, we weren't even shortlisted. It would have, and I would say we should never have even applied for it, although some of us put our energy into it. Now, worry was, if we didn't get it, someone else would get it and they would mess up and they would destroy the reputation of community organisers, and they have. Because the state shouldn't... Well, look at two things. The state shouldn't be doing this. It's not the state's responsibility. It is our responsibility to do this. We should pay. You should pay your organisers. If the state pay them, then basically they do what they, this programme is doing. They talk about litter and they pick up litter and they go knocking on people's doors and saying, hello, I'm your local community organiser. Uh, what's going on around here? And the people complain because they never see them again. There's no plan. There's millions of pounds gone into it, £21 million on the first phase of community organising by the government. 
has anybody ever met anybody from that programme? Because they, okay. I, I think that's the point. Thank you. Taken. I, I just thought I, I, it's not their responsibility. I mean, it was a leading question, but I wanted to kind of clarify it because yeah. I think that the, the, it, it, it kind of, I think a lot of people who don't know that your model is very different, uh, it, it must have been kind of a bit of a challenge, actually, that people associate community organising with something that is slightly less about power and challenge. Yes. Um, and slightly more around, I mean, I, you know, the intentions are good, but it's, it, it's a different kind of model. Yeah. Something else that we, we spoke about um, that, is that y y you have organisations that, that join you and your membership is strong, but actually one of the challenges is that many of the organisations who join you have got declining membership. So the kind of phenomenon that Robert Putnam talked about, and we've had him speak here, in bowling alone, the decline of associational life, yeah. then in a sense that, that decline still continues. What do you see remedying that? What do we do to rekindle people's desire to, to belong, to, to join things, not just to you know, press mm. like on their Facebook page, but to actually join something and get involved in the warp and weft of an organ of organisational institutional life? It's obviously not enough to know that we're born into relationships because the market suggests that we're born into be free. So there is that struggle taking place. We're born to be free and we're basically born to shop. The message which you're giving, quite rightly, and which faith gives is we're actually born to... And literally, we are born into families. Uh, some may spend their life trying to get out of them, but they can't because there's a blood relationship there. It's a crisis for these institutions. It's a crisis for the Christian church, the... Uh, Anglican Church has just come up with statistics which are now 700,000, I think it is, as opposed to, we used to be over a million. The Methodist Church, I'm a Quaker, we're down to 13,000 members. When you look at the plight of the faith institutions, particularly Christians, it is a worry, which, which is why we are very keen to welcome them into membership. If the institution doesn't serve the needs of their members, of course, you can't blame people for leaving. The needs of the members are manifold, but actually what you're saying is quite right. The needs of most people is recognition, not for reading the Bible, and not reading it you know, on the Sunday, but for, um, I mean, I've seen it every now and then, and I'm always looking at Angus, when after one of these actions, the minister brings forward the people who went there, who represented the church at the meeting, they say, and here's Mrs. Jones, here's, here's uh, Mr. Smith, and here's Johnny, who spoke at the platform. I want you to stand and applaud these people. They did God's work in by being there that day. We haven't quite got the, enough courageous clergy who are prepared to do that, or head teachers. Some head teachers will do it, bring forward the students that spoke. But if, if the reputation of the institution is, wow, that place is fighting for wages, it's, it's got some housing scheme which we might be able to get hold of, it's uh, got an action against hate crime going, I'm going to worship there, or I'm going to join that school, I'm going to take my children from this school where the results are good but they don't give a toss about the parents and move them to this other school that really works hard with the parents. So we have a job to do, which we take very seriously, to help these institutions keep up with the opportunities which are available from the opposition, effectively, or the other culture, which is shop, shop, press buttons, da-da, go, just, to, just have fun. Politics doesn't sound like fun, but it is our experience, those who are involved, great fun. It is, it is satisfying to see the situation changed in that process. So our institutions need help. Our mosques are full, but they're worried. They, they worry the government and they worry themselves because they don't feel welcome. We have a, a leaning, or I have a leaning, towards the Muslim community because they are full. But if they don't 
keep relevant, they will go the same way as the Christian church and be empty in about 20 years' time, and young people will not go there anymore. Because we were, we were talking about this before the, the, your, your speech, Neil. It feels to me as though one way to understand what's going on in the world right now is a yearning for belonging. Mm. And, and, and the, one of the reasons that politics feels so febrile at the moment is that there's a, kind of, there's a kind of left account of that deficit, which is to do with inequality and to do with the, the needs of minority groups, oppressed groups, and, and the sense is that, that, that that's where the belonging deficit is. But then, of course, you have a kind of populist move or a nationalist move which says, no, the deficit around belonging is to do with nationhood and tribe and tradition and cohesion, maybe. But in a sense, what they're talking about is a similar kind of sense that belo- that, of a kind of yearning for belonging in our society. Now, you, know, you have used that yearning for belonging for great ends for 20 years. As a society, what do we, how, do we, how do we respond to that yearning for belonging without falling into the traps of populism and tribalism? I think be as broad as we can. We assure folk that there is another way of doing things. It's, it's very true. That it is perfectly natural to want to be in association. The challenge for the mayor, which we are trying to help him with, about knife crime, is that gangs have their place. Gangs provide uh, identity, territory, recognition. The only trouble is that they kill people in many cases. And young people have that, exactly that, that search for associational activity, which youth clubs, they don't, they don't quite fit. But the many of the institutions which either the state funded, which gave people association, of course, are struggling here, but also are the institutions that used to teach people how to work together. A quote from Cicero, a quote he used a lot, which is that citizens are made, not born. The purpose of our institutions you're talking about, which is why it is a crisis if they're founding, is to help people learn to work together through the parish council, through the governors, through the parents' associations. That's how we get on with awkward people. These institutions are not perfect by a long shot because we're not. But these are, if you look at, again, these associational institutions, which are many, either we invent new ones, and we can't quite find anywhere better, certainly than faith, education, <clears throat> some universities, if you're lucky, um, refugee groups, whatever. We're, the job of the organisers is to find those institutions and find people in, in those institutions and promote this way of organising. It seems to me that one of the insights here is that organisation is not a means to an end, it is in some ways the end in itself. And, you know, and I look back over my time <coughs> at the RSA, and this is a moment of celebration for the RSA with our new space. And, and you know, the thing I'm proudest of is not, I mean, you know, lots of great research and impact on government policy and things like that, but I'm proudest of the fact that the fellowship has changed in character and grown in my time here. And so it's not only do we have more yes. fellows, but they're more active, they're doing more, and Younger, they have a stronger, a stronger connection to us as well. And, yeah. and I think maybe we just need those of us who recognise that association and organisation is an end in itself, and if that is weakened, yes. society as a whole is, <coughs> is weakened, to think yeah. very deeply about the skills that are involved, the techniques that yes. are involved in strengthening associational life. Anyway, we could sit here, just the two of us, <laughs> patting each other on the back. Uh, um, let's take any questions from the floor. There's a, a question here. We'll take a kind of round of questions if we can, Neil, and then, and sure. then we'll finish off. So, um, I shall. Thank you very much indeed, and many congratulations on a well-earned re- reward. Um, c- could I ask you, you how... Who you are, sorry. Sorry, my name's James Featherby. Thanks, c- could I ask you, um, th- there seems to be a bit of a tension, at least in my mind, between 
Um, the, the, the statement that you made, which I absolutely agree with, was never do something for um, others that they can do for themselves. And, and yet the, the purpose of your community organizing is to organize people into effectively political action, which is kind of asking government to do for people what they might do for themselves. Mm. So how do you reconcile doing stuff for yourself with asking the state to do something for you? What a brilliant question. Thank you. Um, any other? Yeah, yeah. Hi, uh, yes, it's uh, David Russell. Um, so in the States, obviously, there's been a greater history of organizing, and you see a number of sort of celebrated politicians who were formerly organizers. Here in the UK, seemingly politicians are trying to adopt organizing for their own end. But do you see many organizers sort of transitioning into politics in a way that yeah, you, you have been seeing in the US in recent years? Because Obama, obviously, is the uh, perfect example. And then, uh, yep, finally, oh no, two more. Let's take these two final questions. Hi, my name's Eric Kilstrom. I, um, I'm interested in solving a problem around uh, healthy life expectancy. People are living longer, but they're living longer in increasing care. Um, people expect NHS and social care to provide for them. People can avoid healthy, uh, the extra care in their life if they live, uh, exercise and eat well and do all these things. H how do we get people engaged in their own health so that they can live in their own home for longer, which is what most people want? Great. And Tom? Thank you. Uh, my name's Tom Levitt. Um, I'm thinking of the point you were discussing just now about belonging. Uh, and what the message perhaps you might have for the private sector. I think that employee engagement is almost the holy grail of, of running a business in terms of providing sustainable long-term success. Um, and it's all about building a mission within your uh, private sector organisation as well. So I'd be interested in your comments then on, on employee engagement and messages for the private sector from this. Great, so I think that's it. But if any woman in the room wants to ask your question at any moment, yes, thank God for that. <laughs> Hi Neil, Katie Davis, you Hi. may remember me from Citizens. Um, what's, the what's the gender split in institutional members and what can be done to kind of uplift that to get more of a balanced um, representation of gender issues um, in the kind of fabric of society? Great, so you've got five questions and six minutes. And the ability to start <laughs> yeah. with the one, the most recent one, uh, we, one of our major campaigns at the moment is to get uh, misogyny recognised as a hate crime. Uh, we are leading on that, really. Uh, it's not because we're obsessed with it, particularly it has its place. It is, we've managed to persuade um, um, organisation in Nottingham, the Nottingham Police register when misogyny ha takes place or people record it as having happened. And there's no reason why they can't. I think West Yorkshire Police, have, it's, it's beginning to escalate. There's a pushback from the police authorities saying we can't have, it's not our job to do this, but basically that's partly, they also say, because we haven't got the resources, that if that's an issue of cuts, then we are calling on the government to provide more resources for that. Uh, so far as the membership's concerned, we don't know what the mix is. Uh, I suspect our mix being mostly faith is more women than men, I guess. And then? Uh, employee engagement? Employee engagement. If you're going in reverse order. Living wage, wonderful. It's, it is driven now by corporations, frankly. And the state is dragging its heels. Uh, the third sector is embarrassingly weak on actually doing the very thing, simple thing we're asking for, is to push the wages up a little bit. We're one. We're one. Okay, that's good. <laughs> All right. If you weren't, I would have turned the medal down. 
so basically, the, our, the, and in Hong Kong, where the living wage is beginning to roll, it's the private sector who are saying, we want to pay this. If we're paying it in London, we may as well pay it in Hong Kong. Uh, Burberry's are leading that campaign, are putting money into establishing living wage foundations so they can pay their factories in Thailand and others with a figure. So I've got nothing but praise for those that join the living wage campaign. That's to be criteria anyway. And there's a large number. A third of the FTSE 100 are living wage accredited employees. So it's pretty good. And uh, what about organising in terms of overcoming issues around older people and loneliness and lack of contact, lack of activity? Is that, that sounds a bit more like the kind of government's end of community organising. Yeah, place. Yes, the, uh, the doctors giving you a prescription to go to an old people's club it's not a bad idea if the old people's club is still there, of course. That's the, the criticism of it. The, the institutions that used to provide the assistance, which were often topped up with grants, are struggling themselves. But, but have you done <coughs> anything around kind of loneliness, for example, as, a, 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 as an issue? I think what we are is a solution to loneliness. Okay. If, I know uh, Richard, uh, Richard Ladia, Lindyard, the uh, happiness man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Okay, we'll come back to him. We're getting on. Um, uh, it's relevant because he argues that people Layard. are happy. Layard. Professor of happiness. He argues people are happy provided they have a relationship and they're doing something in public life. Uh, so giving people an opportunity to do something in public life and getting a relationship is a brilliant... And your very first picture, of course, was a group of older citizens. It was transport people. Um, then uh, have any of your organisers become politicians? Do you want them to become politicians? I mean, capital, I don't mind. of course they're all politicians, but I mean capital P politicians. I don't mind, it's up to them really. Have but any, have none any, none have, no, not I'm aware of. Obama, of course, did. He, if you read his book, he, he found organising very difficult. He did say it was the best political experience he ever had. But frankly, I like to think that this is much more fun than being an MP. Look at these MPs, they have to decide. They can't say what they believe. They can't act on what they believe on. They have to do what they're told all the time. I don't understand. There are some of them. I wish they wouldn't say what they're well, told. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. Well, basically, that's partly why organising is such an attractive job. We pay well. You have to earn your own salary. Uh, you will not sustain yourself if the organisation flounders. But basically, I th I'd like to think we offer a good option for people that might say we're going into Parliament instead and that's the way to do politics. This is the way to do politics. Now, th those were great questions, but we'll go back to, to James's one at the beginning because that was a brilliant question, which is, hang on, you say you're about self-help and yep. self-organising, but all the time you're asking the government to do, give more handouts and more services. So no. square that circle. It's a misunderstanding. Not all the time. <laughs> Occasionally, we ask the government to do stuff we can't do, like let in more child refugees. We can't make that happen. We had an organiser who wanted to do that illegally, and we had to say, that's too, going too far. The trustees ruled that out of action. <laughs> he was so frustrated. Uh, but basically, our, terms, our government, we want to recognise civil society activity as sensible. We want them to name people, because they find it very difficult to, to say thank you. I mean, so far that uh, George Osmond, of course, tried to steal the living wage off us with his audacious announcement of uh, the new national living wage. We are constantly doing this with that. The so-called national living wage is, of course, the minimum wage. But basically, it's a back and forth. They need us and we need them. So I hope I have never rubbished a politician. I want people, we want people to go into politics, traditional politics, the more the merrier. But that's not it. The rest of us are not just observers. We want a part of the action. We have ideas. We have to be powerful enough to get those ideas taken seriously. But I think, just to be clear, your, your view is we need the framework of 
decency that comes through a fair welfare system and public services as the foundation for a social life, association yes. life, not an alternative to no, association it's, it's life. It's the foundation, that's right. Yeah. So okay. I hope that helps. And, and, and every now and then, certainly at a local level, a lot of councils work very closely with us because they want to do what people want to do. But how do they know what people want to do other than the angry people who shout at them? But I like to think we go to them with a platform and they're grateful at a council level. Good. Well, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll continue uh, our commitment to associational life by going to the room immediately below us at the end and having a, a soft drink or an alcoholic drink and carry on the conversation. It'll be around to answer any more questions that you've got. Thank you for the brilliant questions that you asked and for joining us this evening. But most of all, please join me in thanking the winner of the RSA 2018 Albert Medal, Neil Jameson. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head to our YouTube channel for inspiring talks, interviews and animations.